Hey, listen, let me just draw your attention firstly to the fact that next Sunday is one of the most epic Sundays in Arise Church. I don't know, maybe you're new to Arise, you've never been to an expansion offering Sunday, you might be thinking, that's a Sunday I have a cold. No, no, no. <laughs> expansion offering Sunday, seriously, seriously, it's one of the best, if not the best, church service we have in Arise Church. Why? Because people come with a heart to give. It's not that we're going to make you give, okay, so no colds, but uh, when you come to that service, there is just this richness of people coming to give to God. There's always a feeling of an open heaven. Seriously, we see the most amazing miracles every time we receive our expansion offering, and I just know that next Sunday is going to be a powerful day. We're also bringing to a close 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're going to be praying at the end of every service all day next Sunday for miracles in people's lives. At the closing of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I'm believing that sick people are going to get healed, miracles are going to take place, it's going to be powerful. This, this expansion offering is so key to the life of Rise. We've taken it every year since our church first started, and it has been the thing that has enabled our church to go further in our vision. From the early days when I think in our first ever one, we raised $16,000 all the way through to now where we're raising money for the most exciting things. This, I believe, is a season where God is taking a rise into a second wave. I really believe that. God told me at the beginning of this year, a second wave carried by sons and daughters and that our church would go from one generation to another and that it would begin to not just increase in speed, but multiply and rapidly begin to fill the earth, that we would not just start new campuses, but Pastor David McCracken prophesied last Sunday that, that we would plant campus-launching campuses in new nations of the earth, and that what God had done in New Zealand, He was going to do in other nations, and I just felt like that was God saying again through a prophet of God, a second wave, a second wave. Well, this offering is so exciting. I mean, it was only a few years ago that we raised money for the Arise Center. And this year, through our expansion offering, we're raising money for two buildings, one in Whangarei, a beautiful building on the edge of State Highway 1, and 8,000 square meters of land that we've bought in the city of Christchurch on Rickerton Road, the busiest road in the South Island, believing that as we get these key locations with great Arise Centers on them, that we can literally make Jesus famous in our generation. Uh, this is what enables us to start new campuses. We've got two that we're, we're believing God for at the moment. In Palmerston North, with services starting weekly on August the 18th. And uh, then after that, 2021, we're going to Auckland in Jesus' name. And then after that, we're going international. We're going to change the world. That's what, we, that's what we're going to do. I'm just, I shouldn't have told you that, but it just came out of my mouth. I'm just excited, full of vision. We, we fund our ministry school, which I'm just so committed to, raising a new generation of leaders for the Church of New Zealand and beyond it, uh, where that's our passion here at Arise. We've been able to do crazy things. Hey, Lifehouse Church in Japan is literally like the most vibrant witness for God in a nation where 0.1% of Japanese people are Christian. 126 million people, one of the most influential and prosperous nations on earth, and yet 0.1% are Christian. Well, they bought, they leased, sorry, their first ever church building. In fact, on the way to the service, their campus pastor sent me a message uh, on my way to the service right now. I read it while I was here, that they, they were able to lease a building in Osaka. That's a city of $20 million 
And what funded the refurbishment of the lease building was the money that we were able to give them. This is what, before you clap, this is what he said to me. He said, last Sunday was the largest Sunday we've ever had in the city of Osaka. And Arise, I mean, it's Lifehouse, but it's also because you were passionate about giving to God. I think we should give God a big clap. We're declaring another way for Arise. Seriously, guys, we're declaring an open heaven over Christchurch. We've put a stake in the ground. We're moving from favor to authority in Christchurch. And I believe God's going to give us thousands of souls. But we're going to be raising money for all of that through this year's expansion offering. So next Sunday, come prepared to give. The different ways that you can give are on the last page of your flyer. But literally, the, the most important thing to remember is arisechurch.com forward slash pledge. You can go there and just, you can tell us what you'd like to contribute annually to the expansion offering. You can also give via whatever means you'd like to online uh, through that arisechurch forward slash, arisechurch.com forward slash pledge would be absolutely amazing. And next Sunday, I'm asking you, open your heart, open your wallet, and let's come to God, come to church ready for something powerful. If your pulse rate doesn't go up reading this booklet, I don't know if you're breathing, by the way. We feed breakfast to 50,000 children a year now. I mean, we're literally helping refugees entering prisons. Arise Care is going crazy, and because of your giving and this expansion offering. So let's really believe God for a miracle. We're going to see something powerful. And I want to talk to you around a dangerous topic today. I want to talk to you about what is so powerful about giving. Turn the person next to you and say, it's all right, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. What is so powerful about giving? There is nothing more controversial in the Christian faith than giving. Nothing. Nothing that excites more, you know, debate. If life groups ever have an argument, it would be about this topic. Not normally about anything else. A couple others, but normally this one incites more excited agitation within people. But by the way, while we're talking about it in a modern day context, let's go back into days of old. Did you know in the Bible, the first person to ever get murdered was because of an offering? Oh, drop mic. Did you know Jesus was betrayed because Judas didn't like the offerings people were giving? Do you know Jesus gave his life as an offering for us? And because he did that, we now have eternal life in heaven. Giving is so, it's everywhere in our scripture, and it is so important to our faith because our God so loved the world that he gave, so it's like everything about our faith is the giving and generosity of God and the reciprocity of his people, yet what is so powerful about our giving? And in order for us to understand this, I want to read a passage of scripture to you today in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Just turn there with me. Let's go to the 14th chapter of Genesis, and we're going to start reading in verse 17. The Bible says, after Abram returned from defeating a king whose name is really hard to say out loud, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet Abram in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, bought out bread and wine, and he was priest of Most High God, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemy into his hands. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. 
And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people, but keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and I have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so you will never be able to say, you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Abram was later named Abraham, for those of you who are new to this whole Christian thing, very important person in our Bible. And the Bible simply tells us in this passage of Scripture that Abram is returning from a battle. He's gone out because a king has come and he has taken that which belonged to these kings. And he has taken their people and he has taken their goods. And Abram wasn't a passive person. I want every man, every person in this building to understand God doesn't look for passive people. When the devil takes something from you, take it back. If the devil takes your young people and they wander, your children, they wander away from God, you pray them back. He's looking for some people that are going to go to war and believe. I'm, I'm declaring my health is coming back. My healing is coming back. My peace is coming back. My joy is coming back. My young people are coming back. My high school is coming back. My university is coming back. My sporting team is coming back. He isn't looking for a passive people. God's looking for a warring people. Somebody give me a little amen out there. Abram went out and he brought back the people, but because he raided the enemy, he also brought back all of the spoils of war. And the Bible tells us that when he returns, he's met by two kings. Now, I have two kings with me today. Can you welcome them as they come join me out on stage this evening, this morning? Ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to present to you the king of Salem and the king of Sodom, our two kings for you this morning. Now, I want to apologize to Zeke. He's taking a hit for the team. He's a good Christian man, an on-fire man. And as I touch him, he has very big muscles. He does. Single as well, aren't you, Zeke? First year intern, though. That's what that was all about. That was like, yeah, we know December 1, date night. That's what happens around here at Arise Church. But I told Zeke, I said, there's no way. Look at this cute little baby face. He couldn't be the king of Sodom. It just wouldn't work for the illustration. So he got to be Salem. He's Sodom, but they're actually both godly men. The king, of, the king of Salem, Salem was later named Jerusalem, and it represents for us the kingdom of God. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, and Jesus is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then on the other side, we have the king of Sodom, and Sodom represents for us the kingdom of this world. Remember that when Jesus came, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So Sodom represents for us the kingdom of, our, of this world that we live in with all of, its, all of its sin and all of its immorality and licentiousness and greed and pride and depravity. This is the kingdom of the world. And the Bible tells us that when Abram came back from battle that he was met by two kings. Now in our, our lives, whenever we return to our homes, whenever we return to a quiet place, whenever we return in our lives, to a moment of reflection, we are similarly met by two kings, two worldviews. These two kings represent for us two ethos, two languages, two ways of seeing the world, 
They have two value systems, two comprehensions. And whenever you and I are interacting with our lives, we are also met by two kings. Now the Bible tells us, it's very interesting, that the king of Sodom went out first, but the king of Salem just suddenly appeared. And I want you to know that if you're not careful in your life, you can go out, you can go out thinking that my strategy and my conniving and my planning are what are going to take me the whole way into what God has for me or into the fullness of what I want for my life, not realizing that sometimes all of your strategy and all of your planning and all of your brilliance won't get you there as fastly as a life that is submitted to the will and the purpose of God. Am I talking to anybody? The king of Salem went out second but got there first. And what's amazing to me is that God can get you where he needs you to be in whatever time frame he chooses to do it. The Bible tells us that when Abram was met by the king of Salem, that the first thing that this king of Salem did when he met him was he brought out bread and wine. He brought out bread and he brought out wine. We understand as New Testament Christians that still we are met by the bread and by the wine. The bread, speaking of the body of Jesus, the, the, blood, the, the wine, speaking of the blood of Jesus, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, the body broken for our healing and the blood shed for our forgiveness. He brought out communion. Before there had ever been any transaction, any blessing, any benefit, that the king of Salem met him with relationship. Anybody else excited out there that it doesn't matter what your state is when you come to God, it doesn't matter whether you feel worthy of God, whether you've done anything for God, whether you're deserving of God, no matter who you are, how broken you are, where you've come from, what's going wrong in your life, God meets you with the offer of relationship. He says, I'm knocking at the door, open, let's eat together. That's the grace, that's the love, that's the kingdom of our God. Oh, you're not hearing me. I need you to praise him for five seconds. Not him, but him. He meets us with relationship. And then he blessed him. Abram hasn't opened his wallet. He hasn't done anything. It's not, it's not blessing for money. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not pay for the favor. The spiritual little genie. No, before Abram had ever done anything for him, Salem, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, he blessed them anyway. That's our God. He says, I want to relate to you and I want to bless you. Now, what's amazing about that is because Abram is now close to this, experiencing this. The Bible says he gives him a tenth of everything. And this is what giving is all about. It's not about compulsion. It's not about necessity. It's, it's not about have to. It's not about need to. It's just about the fact that if I am truly in connection with God, then I just want to. I just choose to. I desire to. Now let me tell you something about a believer. If there is a believer out there who really struggles to open up their wallet and to give to God, let me tell you something about you. You don't know that you're blessed. If you don't like giving, then the truth is, my friend, you think that you got here on your own back. You think you did it. You think you're smart. And so you're saying, well, I've got to keep it because I earned it. No, you didn't. God bless you. And he favored you with it. And when you realize what you've been given, then you'll be a giver. When you realize that you are blessed, you'll be a blessing. When we realize that we're not deserving, but he did it, that's when our hearts are open to him. That's why God meets you with relationships, fills you with blessing. And then, oh, my Lord, we just overflow. 
love that, don't you? Then the Bible tells us about the king of Sodom, that when Sodom jumps into Abram's life, he left early. Why? Because he had a plan, because he had a scheme, because he had a deal. And I want you to know, you don't just have to be conniving, sometimes you have to be a worshiper. Sodom meets him, and this is what Sodom says. He says, I've got a deal for you. It's going to work out great for both of us. How about you keep all the money and just give me all the people? How about you just, I mean, everything you got, you just keep it. All of it. It's all yours. Keep it. I don't want a cent. But if I could have the people, good, we're done. He's saying, he's saying, I want you to close your wallet. And just give me all the souls. I don't want you to open up your bank account and give, but just let me take all the people. And hell is still offering that exchange to our world today. Keep everything you have and let the world go to hell. The Bible says in Isaiah that hell has opened its mouth without limit. In other words, it has an unquenchable appetite for the souls of a generation. And we are the church. And we are put on this planet to be Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet, to feed children, to share the gospel, to tell inmates God's got a second chance for them, to declare that Jesus is alive in our generation, to fund the outreach of the gospel, the planting of new campuses, the establishment of new churches, the opening of nations. We don't say we're keeping all the money and letting hell have all the people. We're saying, God, we give you the money because we want heaven to be filled with people. Heaven to be filled with people. Somebody give me a little amen out there today. Two kings, two worldviews. Two paradigms. These two things are being offered to every single one of us in every moment of our day. Close your wallet. Close your heart. Don't, ch don't listen. Zone out. Walk past the person on the side of the road. The kingdom of Sodom is transactional, self-centered, all about what, I'm get what am I getting out of it. This kingdom over here, it begins firstly in relationships. It's like I want, I'm bringing out bread and wine. Then it goes from relational to, to something that is truly a blessing in your life. And then after it goes from blessing, it goes all the way to sacrifice. So I've been blessed and I've got relationship. And now I just want to give and be part of that. This is why, why, the, why the way, why life groups are so incredibly powerful. Because we choose to be relational, not self-centered Christians but living our lives in relationships with others. Then out of that, we feel blessed and we're able to be reciprocally benefited by one another. And then we're like, well, I want to help you and I want to help you. And that's why God needs for every Christian a life group. And by the way, if you're out there today and you struggle with this concept of tithing, he gave him a tenth of everything. Then let me invite you after the service you're in right now to go to Pathway in whatever campus you're in because we'll explain to you the biblical principle of tithing and so much more about the governance and structure of Arise Church and help you to find your purpose while you're alive if you just give us some time at the end of the service. Two kings, two kings. Two kings that are wooing for your attention. Two kingdoms that are trying to speak into our lives. Two kings 
that all the time are trying to grab the hearts and minds of a generation. And my friends, what we do with these two kings is going to determine so much about our life. Because the truth is that the king of Sodom is saying to you, close your wallet. Close your heart. Close your soul. And let a generation go to hell. And the king of Salem is saying, I love you, and I bless you, and I welcome you. And in the exchange of relationship, we just find this heart that longs to give. Following Jesus is about having your life awakened to the king of Salem. Following Jesus is about falling in love with the king of Salem. It's about having an awakening to the God who loves you just as you are, who welcomes you just as you might be today, who says, I receive you and I bless you. And then the outcome of that depth of relationship is it just inspires within us worship, generosity, and giving. This king of Salem jumps into our scriptures in Genesis chapter 14, and then miraculously, as quickly as he appeared, he disappeared. And then we find him again in the Gospels, where the Bible tells us that our Jesus turns up, and he is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And let me tell you what the king said, Jesus, when he walked this planet. He said in Acts 20 verse 35, more, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. In Luke 6, 38, he said, give and it shall be given to you. He said in Luke 12, 32, 33, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out and a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And this kingdom is still saying, give. No fear, open heart, trusting of God, give. Now the truth is, my friends, about you and I, is that from the, the moment we popped into this world, we have been influenced by the king of Sodom. From the moment you came into this world, Sodom has been teaching you his ways. Live for yourself, close your heart to others. You are an island, exist for yourself. Don't open up, don't be generous. That's absolutely stupid. And have you noticed how the rhetoric of our time when, when Christianity is brought up into the public space, very quickly the topic of money is lifted. Why? 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 Well, obviously there are a couple of idiots out there that I completely disagree with their value system as believers, but there is a lot more to it than that. There is the fact that we as a culture worship money. So whenever anybody lifts up their hand and says, worship Jesus, a culture says, be careful because that Jesus wants your money. And Sodom is saying, keep it, keep all the money. You can have all the money, just give me all the souls. And God's saying, no, give me your money because heaven needs the souls. And we should never be backwards about coming forward about that. Our God says, listen, if you give it to me, I'll give it back to you. But when you give it to me, I'll use it and I'll win souls for the kingdom and I'll see lives that were broken healed and I'll see people that were addicted set free and I'll declare that the church is not an irrelevant thing that existed in one generation, but it's vibrant, alive, moving, organic, breathing, modern, contemporary in a new generation. Come on, in every campus, if you believe Jesus is the hope of a generation, I need you to, for three seconds, lift your voice and give God some praise. 
Come on. Sodom is saying stay self-centered. Stay transactional. Work out what you get out of it. Sodom is saying to you all the time, keep it. Hoard it. Hoard it. You know what Sodom's whispering in your ear? Sodom is whispering in your ear, the only reason I've got it is because I did well. That's a lie, by the way. It's a factor. Stupid people don't tend to keep their money. But the reality is, my friends, you've got it because God blessed you with it. Keep it. Hoard it. Guard it. Be fearful and be calculated. And Salem, Salem is saying to you, you're loved. You're blessed. You're accepted. So give. Live open. Be free. Don't walk past the person. Give them something. Don't ignore the opportunity. Don't close the bank account. Don't get a cold next Sunday. <laughs> Live an open life. It's all a story of two kings. And these two kings are impacting our lives all the time. See, I'm Scottish, you can tell by the hair. No surprises there. And I, I, I mean, I'm a saver. I like to save. And I, I found Jesus when I was 18 years old. And from the time I got saved, I began to save more money than I ever had before. When I was 19, I knew I was going to do ministry with my life. And so I started saving like crazy. By, by August of that year, 1991, I'd saved about $1,200, which I reckon in 2019 is about $5,000. That's my guesstimate, okay? An economist can tell me the truth afterwards, but just go with it, okay? It's, it's a rough estimate. Don't critique me on Facebook. But anyway, I reckon it's about five grand in 2019's standard. And I went to a prayer meeting, and we're praying for financial needs. So I'm in the prayer meeting, and I'm saying, God, would you meet this financial need? Help this ministry. Lord, would you move on their behalf? They need this car repaired. They need this done. Lord, would you move? Would you, would you provide the need? I felt like God was saying to me, you meet the need. And I'm like, what you talking about, Willis? And God's like, no, no, no. Don't just pray for it. You do it. That God was new to me. I didn't know that God. The God who would say, take your entire bank account and empty it. Take what you have and give it. That God was so new. I didn't know that God. But that God wasn't thinking the way that I had been taught to think. I'd been taught to think, keep it, guard it, protect it, hoard it, watch every penny. I mean, diligence counts. What, look, you know, this is a biblical principle. But on the other side, it's not about a hoarding heart. And God just said to me, you can do something, so do something. Well, I want you to know it took me two weeks to give that money. I mean, when you're 19, five grand's a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. But when you're 19, it's moonbeams. But I felt God told me to give it after two weeks of struggling. I couldn't sleep. I knew God wanted me to do it. I, I mean, literally, literally, I'm sleepless, people, because I was thinking this is everything I have. But I gave it, and I encountered God in such a real way in my life. My depth of relationship with Him went to another level. And what the Lord did for me over the next period of time in my life, the next two to three years of ministry, was so powerful. Because I worship the king of Salem. We must understand that even though we've been taught by the king of Sodom our entire lives, that there is a king of Salem that is trying to teach you his ways. 
Jesus said, no greater love has someone than this. Then he lay down to give his life for his friends. And because our king of Salem gave, God so loved the world that he gave. Because he gave, we have life. And it's always been that way with God. It's always been that way with God. It's always been that way with God. We give of what we have to fill heaven with the souls of the generations. But learning, learning the ways of the king of Salem is so different. And there are five quick things I just want to throw at you to help you to understand the language of the king of Salem. And here's the first one. When you give, you open the windows of heaven. Malachi chapter 3 says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse and see if there will not be a room, a room in my house. And then he says, I will open the floodgates of heaven. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't be able to contain it. I will open the windows of heaven. See, what Sodom wants for us is Sodom wants us with closed wallets, closed hearts, and closed heavens. And God wants us living with open wallets, open hearts, and under an open heaven. And friends, that's why next Sunday is always so powerful in the life of Arise. That's why people, one, one guy last year, a dad, now a dad, bought his expansion offer into the front, put it in the, bucket, the bucket. As he was going back, his phone starts vibrating. The hospital calls him. They've been trying to have a child unsuccessful with IVF. Now the, the, the hospital says on his way back to the seat, this latest attempt has been successful. And now they're still in our church and they have a baby. It's not about give to get. It's about the power of an open heaven that God doesn't want you. He said, when you give, you open the, wind, the floodgates of heaven. Open the heavens. God wants us living under an open heaven, church. He wants us living in the favor of God. Here's number two, when you give, number two, number two, oh, come on, turn the page. Number two, when you give, you engage in spiritual warfare. See, friends, when we give, there, there is a spiritual warfare dynamic that kicks in because there is a king of Sodom and there is a king of Salem. And these two kingdoms are at war with one another. That's why the Bible says, by the way, that we should not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we can understand what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when we give, we are, exchange, we are engaging in spiritual warfare because we're saying no to hell and we're saying yes to heaven. It's spiritual warfare. I sat next to a guy on a plane just recently. This is like the quietest service I think I've ever preached to. I sat on a guy just recently on a plane and when I sat next to him, he asked me what I did and he was clearly exceptionally wealthy. And uh, I sat next to him, and, I, and, and he said, what do you do? And I said, I pastor a church. And he immediately began to go at me about Christians, churches, and money. It's like, oh, Christians, churches, they, they ask people to give them money. They ask people to give them money. They ask people to give them money. And I was like, I just don't know where to go to with this. So I, I literally just sat there while he was, he was angry. He was angry immediately, angry. And he was just raving at me. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit told me to ask him. So I said to him, Excuse me, sir, let me just ask you a personal question. How much money have you given to charity in the last 12 months? He went deadpan quiet. And I said, well, sir, 
to be honest, if I can be brutal, you look a lot more wealthy than I am. I live on a pastor's salary. My, my family, we do that thing you're mentioning so vehemently. We tithe. And on top of that, my family sponsors five children with world vision. And for all that you're saying, you're doing nothing to help the world around you. Well, he didn't say a lot after that. <laughs> it's spiritual warfare, guys. It's spiritual warfare. You got to hear it. It's not just, it's not about the church and it's not about money. It's about two kings and two kingdoms. And it's about tearing down hell and about lifting up the kingdom of heaven. We're saying don't spend your money on alcohol and drugs. You can invest your money into the kingdom of Jesus. Don't live for yourself. Live for the world around you. Don't be selfish. Be sacrificial. Don't be small. Live big. And we should be unashamed that we're here to exalt the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. amen. By the way, that fear that makes you not want to give, that's a demon. That, that, that greed, that avarice that makes you possessive of the money that you have, that's a spirit. And when we say no to our selfishness and we open up our wallet, you're, that's, that's spiritual warfare. You're breaking the stronghold of, he of hell over your life. I'm going to do one more. And the third one is we place seed in God's hand when we give. We place seed in God's hand. The band, come and join me. We place seed in the hands of God when we give. Listen, let me just tell you something. When I tithe, I'm not giving. I'm returning. God gave it to me. It's his portion, and I return it to him when I tithe. But when I come to things like Expansion Offering Sunday, and I give financially in moments like that, then I'm given knowing that's now a seed in the hand of God. And when I give, man, I'm given in faith. And I'm saying, God, not only will you use the seed to bless the lives of others, but you're going to use that seed to bless me right back again. I'm not giving to get, but I'm giving with expectation. And friends, I want you to know when you give, you're not just emptying your wallet. You are putting seed in the hand of God. Jesus said, if you've sold a house, you'll reap houses. If you've given up this level, you'll get this level. In this life and in the age to come, eternal life. God is no man's debtor. And he is looking for people that will trust him, have faith in him, and believe in him. When we started the journey of building the Arise Center, God, God spoke to Jillian and I. Um, over three consecutive years about how much we were to give. And over three years, the total that we gave to the expansion offering and for, uh, to, to four separate offerings for the Arise Center was more than we had mortgage on our house when the, when the building program started. Started. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we were like... <laughs> but we put that seed in God's hand. Now, can I just give you a testimony? The house that I built in 2009 has probably doubled in value since I built it. So I had a mortgage, but the house has doubled in value. And people out there are going to say, John, that's the Wellington house market because everybody in this room that owns a house has been blessed by it. Everybody who doesn't own a house has been cursed by it. But the truth is, I don't see that. I see the providence, the hand, and the faithfulness of God. That when you put him first, he blesses you. He is no person's debtor. And I'm here to tell you, when you honor God, God honors you. When you put seed in the hand of God, you reap according to what you sow. So I believe that God is with us. And if you believe it, give God a little bit of an amen out there today.